is Boils and Ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Keepers, the podcast where we sort out the card sharps and the sucker bets in the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt. I'm Mary Johnson, and with me is my brother, Big Thomas from Cleveland. How are you, Thomas? Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. I'm ready, Mary. I'm feeling hot. Got the hot hand. Take back your mink. Take back your poils. <laughs> I'm now happy that the, the, the four remaining listeners will uh who have not immediately turned off the podcast. <laughs> is there anything <laughs> Thomas truly is there anything that you would grit your teeth more about than going to a, a party or maybe even a wedding that was like gambling themed? No, I think that I think I mean, sure, right? Like, I, Is I'm it not different a, if you're a man? I think that, no. I think that, I, I personally am not, I'm not a gambler. But I would say that certainly from a film perspective and on a cultural perspective, like, gambling is interesting and beautiful and weird and inside. And people like that. You know, like, think of any, think of all the, like, funny nostalgia for old Vegas. And, uh I think that uh, so I think that it, it, it's 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 an aesthetic choice and it's kind of a strong aesthetic choice. It's true. I don't know. There's just like something about it. Like it'd be like if you were invited to a flapper party now, you would just be like, really? Aren't we done with this? Is it still <laughs> happening? Like, really? OK. I don't know. Like if someone's like, let's we're going to have poker night. And it's clear that like everything's going to be like red <laughs> dice and like shirt sleeves with, with like uh, with like sleeve garters and stuff. You'd just be like, oh, Christ. No, I think, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It, but but I think the like retro kitsch is part of the appeal. It's just that you don't have to explain it, it to me. I am all specific. on board for retro kitsch. And I do agree. Like the one time I was in Vegas, the thing I enjoyed the most about like a classic Vegas experience was old Vegas because it is kind of fun. But it's also a little bit sad because it's sort of like an an outdoor mall. And that's that's old Vegas. And then the strip is just like so much bigger and like lamer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels sort of sad to see it. Yeah, my my, my Vegas ex- my Vegas experience is limited to being in the airport and watching people like desperately feed those slots in the airport. And how everybody in the Vegas airport seems a little bit mad. Wow, I do understand. And mad. <laughs> I do understand that the Ve- that the Golden Nugget, which is part of Old Vegas, um, has a swimming pool that has an enormous uh, saltwater tank featuring sharks that has a water slide that shoots you through the tank. That's cool. And deposits you. If and you, I would like to be in that pool. If you like Welsh on your marker, if you don't pay the VIG, I'm going to say a bunch of other mob words. Do the, does, does the heavy in the casino like take you out and dangle you over the tank? Like grab you by the throat and hold you? Yeah, if you've promised, if you've promised some mook a bunch of lettuce and you can't deliver... <laughs> So, some palooka is going to put his meat hook right around your neck. <laughs> some palooka. <laughs> Threaten to feed you to the sharks. I think we're exactly like, I'm like, I'm like, wouldn't that just be the worst? And now I'm demonstrating how terrible it really would be. <laughs> well, a much wiser man than I once said, you got to know when to hold them. And then you need to know when to fold them. You need to know when to walk away. And you need to know when you have to run. And I would say that this episode of Tales from the Crypt, we're dealing with two people who really should have known when to when to when to hold them and when to fold them. 
But let's uh, let's get to, let's get to our our episode today where people really do risk it all. All right, this is a short and sweet episode, so the synopsis is to match. A cowboy named Marino and a businessman named Sam meet at a seedy casino to settle once and for all who is the most hardcore gambler between them. Since Reno is short on the folding money, they'll have to play for the highest stakes possible using Sam's car gun and a citrus cleaver (laughs) stolen from behind the bar. That's my that's my synopsis of this story. Yeah, I uh, so <clears throat> when watching this episode, um, I didn't uh, I didn't pay attention to the personnel the first time through. I just kind of watched it. The and personnel midway through. Yeah, no, I'm talking about it like it's a record. <laughs> um, but about midway through it, I was like, you know what this looks like? This looks like it's taking place in the Niles Talbot universe. <laughs> the uh, the guy from uh, the mm-hmm. first episode, the man who was death. And then I looked at the director, and it was Walter Hill, and I was like, "Well, of course." Hi, hi, Walter. <laughs> the, the maestro what is that kind of neon drenched, spare, grubby sort of look to it. <laughs> you were like Walter Hill, my very best friend in the world. Ah, yes, we have so much to catch up on. Exactly. So we know him. We love him. Remember his his mantra: "Everything is a western." Keep that in mind. It might come back. I will say that this seems to be more. I mean, like. Reno is literally wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah, this is more super. At the very least, this has more trappings of a western. I feel less impressed by Walter Hill being like everything's a western in it re this piece, which I'm like, yeah. Maybe he's maybe he's not saying it though, like to be like uh, he's not being pretentious when he says that. He's just like, look, man, I love cowboys. Everything is western. Maybe it's really more of like a where's Waldo. He's like, if you look hard enough in every episode, you will see a pair of spurs. What if he think? What if what he's saying is not everything I make is a western? He means everything is a western. Well, if you were to read um, the excellent book Gunfighter Nation, you would realize that for a lot of American culture, that is true. Everything is a western. Anyway, okay. So the cast on this, we have. Um, the improbably named Reno Crevice, the Cowboys, played by Lance Henriksen, who, did you recognize him, Mary? He's Bishop from Aliens. I did recognize him. Also, he's the head vampire in Near Dark. Um, he's in Quick and the Dead. He's in The Terminator. Um, he is the chief bad guy in Hard Target. Um, he was in the very pretentious Dead Man. <laughs> um, he was also in Pumpkinhead. And per his IMDb uh, biography, an accomplished painter and potter. And he comes back next season in another episode of TFTC. The uh, So he's, he's sort of a beloved character actor um, who kind of shows up all the place. He does a lot of voice work. Um, he, he, he has one of those faces you kind of recognize. Then Sam Forney, the banker, is played by Kevin Ty who is described in his IMDb profile as a beefy, genial-looking character actor. (laughs) Which I'm sure he's like, hey, about. No, he's probably like, that's me. (laughs) Because, I mean, it's about right. That's me as he takes a bite of still-too-hot chicken pot pie. Let's just say he looks like a gentleman who probably also has some opinions about chili dogs. Suck it down, chili dogs. Down, tasty freeze. 
he um it's a very musical episode um he was in roadhouse he was in my bloody valentine 3d and apparently was very famous for being in a 70s series called emergency where he was a paramedic that was like his big break um <laughs> but anyway and then did you notice roy brocksmith as the bartender he was actually the only person i did recognize the first time around i gotcha and did you recognize both of his... Did you recognize him? Can you identify both of his previous Tales from the Crypt appearances? I sure can. So he is Walter Hill. Follow follow your nose. Right on back to the man who would be death. He's also the bartender in that. Mm-hmm. And we just saw him also in the switch where he is the um, maniacal uh, Dr. Frankenstein uh, plastic surgeon. He's the TFTC3, Pete. Yeah. And he was... Is this Probably his last f- appearance or are we going to see him again? No, this is his last. This is his last appearance. Last time we'll see him. Um, he has a storied career. Um, mostly, though, he's famous for being a Broadway actor. He sings. He dances. Um, he was a part time librarian for a while and then apparently has some serious dramatic stage chops as well. Um, he was, however, also a character actor in films. He was in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. He was in Tango and Cash. He was in Total Recall. Uh, so he's he, he, he guy gets around. He's got one of those faces you don't really forget. And uh, he was probably probably the best part of the last, the last episode we saw. Maybe. Hmm. Unless you really love the voice. She thinks I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is the pretty, pretty this is pretty uh pretty good cast. There's a lot of uh, a lot of electricity between these guys. It's mostly a two character show as uh Reno and Sam sort of uh face off against one another. Um this episode, I think you can tell, has a little bit of a higher budget because there are still extras. <laughs> and you get some, there's some kind of filler casino shots and stuff like that that, that look pretty good. I, um, I a little bit disagree with that. I mean, I guess like it is, it is definitely higher production value, but I would say watching this coming off the next last two that I'm like, oh, they spent all their money. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> so this is sort of a, this is the most briskly told tale in yeah. um, the crypt. It comes in a, around 18 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, if you slice off the uh, the Crypt Keeper's uh, intro and outro. And it's pretty sparsely set. I mean, you have the casino, which I guess is the most the most yeah. rich set they have. And then they like hang out in a parking lot. And then it kind of returns back to classic Tales from the Crypt a, a stuff. Str- a strange you're... featureless room. <laughs> yeah, we're just in a room that's so dark you can't really tell what how big it is or if there's anything else in the room except for the central player sitting around a card table so that's it's what we not... call it, like a black box and then and then an insane asylum at the end oh you think that's an insane asylum interesting you yeah you think you, you don't think that's a you think it's a medical hospital i thought it was potentially a medical hospital to care for all their wounds but that would make sense mm-hmm. um so I would say, and this seems pretty pretty surface level, but I would say the horror element here at work is how far these two guys will go not to lose. Right? They mm-hmm. start. They're gonna. They 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 need to prove um, who is who, who has who has the biggest gambling uh, cojones. So first they sweat it out in a game of Russian roulette in a rain slicked parking lot. Um, and eventually just become a pair of torsos resting nose to nose over a checkerboard um, in what I now think is probably an insane asylum. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, they play chop poker where you just play the hand, which means you get to chop off the other guy's finger when you win. 
<laughs> yes, they do. Chop, chop. Chop, chop. Chip, chop. Chop poker. I don't know. So do you, so what do you, what do you think about these two guys? Um, what do you think is they, uh, I mean, I think that they, uh, they sort of, I think they reflect and mirror one another. I think they're self-knowledge and self-loathing. I don't think they're really, I think superficially they're opposites. One of them's like a businessman. The other one's like a cowboy and, you know, sort, sort of a city slicker versus the country, you know, bankers versus cowboys sort of thing that is a common fictional trope in the United States. But I would posit that I think these guys actually are, are very, are very similar in their motivation. Um, uh, they are, and I think they act like they're junkies. Um, they are uh, addicts. They're addicted to the thrill um, in sort of different ways. Um, Reno, they, Reno talks about what he likes. He likes thinking about the consequences, thinking about what happens if this goes wrong. He's a more stoic um, person. He uh, accepts the fate. He doesn't move around. Whereas Sam is more emotional. He, he likes to clear his mind when he gambles and is sort of the more sweaty, twitchy kind of addict. And um, both of them are seeking ultimately catharsis or consequences through through the gambling. They also hate each other, but I think it's because they sort of get each other and hate themselves. Um, and, and you see you see that there's an interesting part where they're interrupted during their game of Russian roulette by a guy who pulls up in like a Cadillac and is like, you want to park my car? And they point the pistol at him and are like, get the fuck away from us. And the other guy says, yeah, listen to my friend. These are guys who, who like hate each other so much that they're willing to risk their lives sort of for the chance that the other guy will get hurt. And so I think that 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 has that sort of weird junky feel the like, you know, scrambling and scrambling in the gutter fighting over a hit. But also uh, that the. the they're the only people who sort of understand each other and so stand together against the world because because they're they're sick and flawed and broken. I think they also I agree with that. I think they also sort of represent you touched on this when you're talking about like kind of the cowboy and the businessman where mm-hmm. they're kind of these classic almost ciphers for what gambling is, which is risk. You're a cowboy. That's the thing he likes about mm-hmm. it. He likes to think about the risk and money which is the businessman. Mm-hmm. So it's it's risk it's risking one's money represented by two sort of iconic uh, American ideals of of masculinity, mm-hmm. which I thought was yeah. kind of an interesting concept. Um, I don't know. I, I thought I'm not sure that they like see each other. I mean, pr- probably I agree with that overall. I think mm-hmm. it's really more about like definitely these two men are very passionate about each other um you know when when they interrupt them in the parking lot you're like are they gonna like kiss now like yeah, what no, is I, happening I, the, um I, yeah the, there was definitely a moment where i was like are these guys in love <laughs> yeah I, they're very passionate about each other and it's it's sort of i focused more in on on the, the central moral of of self-destruction over over petty hatred Mm-hmm. Um, and what it reminded me of is a what I what I've now learned is sort of a lesser known children's poem, but was mm-hmm. one that I'm particularly fond of by Eugene Field called The Duel, which is about mm-hmm. a stuffed gingham dog and a calico oh, cat mm-hmm. that hate each other so much that they start mixing it up one night in the nursery while this clock and a china plate watch on in horror. Um, and if you will permit me, I will read you the end. Oh, please. 
But the gingham dog and the calico cat wallowed this way and tumbled that, employing every tooth and claw in the awfulest way that you ever saw. And oh, how the gingham and calico flew. Don't fancy I exaggerate. I got my news from the china plate. Word on the street is. Next morning where the two had sat, they found no trace of cat, of dog or cat. And some folks think unto this day that burglars stole the pair away. But the truth about the cat and pup is this. They ate each other up. Now, what do you think about that? The old Dutch clock told me so. And that is how I've come to know. So I've always been fascinated by this poem. I think it's because... You know, a lot of a lot of children's literature um, sort of uh, enjoys the absurd and sort of tickles kids kind of very basic notions of how the world works. So I think I think oddly enough, the basis of this poem is that it's sort of it's sort of uh, macabrely entertaining to mm-hmm. to to ponder the like the impossible uh violation of the laws of conservation of mass right like the two yeah. creatures could completely eat each other up definitely fascinated me mm-hmm. um so literature loves people and things getting eaten too are gobbled up yeah and it's sort of like this uh, there's the, it's fascinating and it's scary and it's primordial mm-hmm. all at once. Yeah, sure. And it's like ultimate, ultimate opposites and mirrors and self-destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Ever and escalating conflict. Escalating conflict. And it's like it's like we know so innately that this is the wrong way to live one's life. Mm-hmm. Like like the, the concept of um, we have like a sense as a species that that to allow yourself to get to the point of complete self-destruction where you're both just where you you are destroyed and the person that you are with are destroyed at the same time is is like a violation of some sort of self-preservation code and it feels really wrong and you shouldn't do it it's it's not even like a law of man it's like a law of nature that one shouldn't do something like this so I think it's kind of an, an entertaining and weird perversion at the center of this moral that we we all kind of understand this basically as a species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the biggest tragedy is, of course, that similar to the the gingham dog and the calico cat, is that at the end of this, nobody wins. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a draw. Right. <laughs> And they don't win because they're both equal, and they don't have a draw because they're both equally winning. It's because they both are equally consumed and detro- destroy each other. They both yeah. equally lose. Right, everyone. Yeah, yes. They, it's a it's interesting. Tale in this when they talk to each other, they talk about <clears throat> cleaning out other people. Um, and uh, like Sam tells Reno that he cleaned out all his friends who used to play here, and they talk about it like he killed those people. <laughs> that like. Once you once you've lost your money and you can't gamble anymore, like 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 you're gone, you're dead. It's very it's, it's very much the Western. It's, it's 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 almost as if Sam has said that he killed those guys. Um, the um, they also gamble only on what are I mean, I guess a little more or less games of pure chance. They initially roll dice to see who has to leave town and they both roll boxcars. They both roll double sixes. Then they play Russian roulette. Then they play chop poker, which I guess, you know, you it, it, it's 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 sort of a finger a hand. So there is some presumed skill there in playing cards. 
but this has got to be the least glamorous um, uh, portrayal of gambling I've ever seen in film. There's none of this like when you're playing cards, you're playing the man like these guys just discard cards and flip cards and chop fingers off. Um, did you notice that in that scene, whoever discards the most cards wins, which I think gives it a sort of luck and fate like angle to it. Uh, the guy who always discards three cards always wins and chops the other guy's finger off <laughs> and they both lose uh, a couple fingers in that scene. I thought that was interesting. And then eventually um, they just start taking like honks out of people's arms. If, if the end, presumably we, we don't, we don't see that. We don't yeah. see that. Um, no, I liked, I liked the element of chance aspect of this. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think that the gambling, the gambling piece of this is really interesting. Um, Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, th- we have this sort of idea that if you are, if you are a highly masculine person, mm. a la James Bond, y- you're good at gambling, quote unquote. Right, as if as if playing roulette is a skill. Yeah. Right, and like, mm-hmm. and maybe what that really is is it's like a sense of control over chaos. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, your I think so. Drive to win can can make you feel bigger in a in a in an infinite world so that's what these guys are doing they're kind of they're 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 so nihilistic at this point that they're just seeking out some sense of control over one another so they're they're chopping each other's fingers off willy-nilly there's an interesting part remember when um sam sam loses two fingers and then reno has to lose a finger and sam says Hey, Reno, how about you keep your finger and you let the doc here sew one of the fingers on me? It's one of, one of my fingers back on. And, and and Reno doesn't want that because it's almost like it's they don't care about it, they, they don't care about themselves. They want to hurt the other person more than they want to or, you know, then uh, then come out of this hole. It's also I agree with that I also think that there's sort of a like they won't they won't retreat. Like that, that could be seen as undoing something that has come before, even if it saves him from pain. And they won't do that because they're consistently pushing forward. It's like mm-hmm. driving to this inevitable conclusion is what they're Which, driven to do. So if you sew that guy's finger back on, that just right. means that they're going to have to chop it off again. Because right, they're right. going to keep more, playing. More, finger, more fingers to chop. Yep. yep. I think you're right. And I think that this speaks board. Uh, this to me speaks to the, to the, to the addiction the theme that I think kind of keeps for me anyway, keeps coming through loud and clear in that, you know, uh, gambling addiction is, is, is of course a real thing. Um, it's going to turn into a PSA. No, but you know, it's, 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 it's isolating. It's consuming. It's estimated that like 2% of adults in the USA, uh, are possibly gambling addicts and that they account for 30 to 50% of all the gambling revenue. <laughs> so, That's wild. Um, if I can hit you with some some more crazy um, statistics, so eighty percent of USA adults gamble at some point, whatever that means. Gambling is estimated to be a two hundred and forty billion dollar industry in the U.S. that employs one point seven three million people. To give you an idea, that's bigger than the film uh, and home video and music industry for twenty seventeen all put together. Um, the film is about 11 million or 11 billion in theaters, 107 billion on home video. Music is about 18. Books are 37 and video games are estimated at 23. Globally, it's almost a half trillion dollars. So gambling is immensely profitable. Uh, and I think I was reading an interesting uh, Chris Hedges has a book called America, the Farewell Tour, and he has a chapter about gambling. 
And he talks about how um, as people become more alienated from each other, from from their families, from their communities, from their jobs, and as the economy kind of dries up, economic uh, options seem like they're limited, the casino becomes the only way out. And it's this funny nihilistic rat hole of losing and highs and lows and and he posits that you know everyone knows exactly what's going on and that it's a sucker's bet. All they want to do is keep you in there and keep squeezing you for the money. But but they but you're sort of dangling this carrot and stick. And for people who have, you know, feel like they have nothing left to lose or no prospects, this is a this is this is a terrible situation. Mm. It's like uh, it's like the Hunger Games. It's the lotteries. Yeah. Exactly. I, uh, yeah, I wonder too about this. So I mean. Do we feel as entirely just like out of a opinion mm-hmm. question? I'm sure that there are there is science behind this and you might know it. I don't necessarily, mm-hmm. but I have never really understood gambling. Really? I mean, like I, I understand like like I'm not like puritanical like I've uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I've played uh, I've played a, a church raffle or two in my day, mm-hmm. but. It seems to me that gambling might be the most nihilistic of all of one's addictions. Yeah. Like, you can at least understand things that bring pleasure that you are addicted to, like drugs or booze or sex. Like, that has, like, a a physiological effect on one, Mm -hmm. you know, that in theory is enjoyable. Mm -hmm. But gambling really seems to be sort of like... You walk. Everybody knows when you walk in to a to a casino, the house is already won. The idea is to keep you there as long as possible, and bleed you until you're completely dry. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be like deciding that you know that that's the case, but you are deciding that you are the exception to that, and you yeah. are really just going to kind. Of, you're going to put it. You're going to put your your livelihood and your life on the line as much as possible and kind of toe that line as much as possible until you're finally so so broke you cannot continue any longer it'd be sort of like it'd be sort of like if marathons instead of having like a set number and you train for them and you did it it was like it's a marathon and you basically run until you die there's a stephen (laughs) king novel that's like this yeah i think i mean there's a lot of neuroscience and stuff behind this where the, the the dopamine hits people get and the way things are laid out and there's um I did. I, I just did some curse reading, as you can tell from all the stats. I just like <laughs> reeled off there. There is all kinds of stuff with um, the way modern slot machines work, and they'll have bars that you win and bars that you lose. And sometimes you'll win a bar, but it won't cover what you've what you've paid in so far. And sure. they know exactly what they're doing. I mean, I think anybody who's accidentally watched too much television or gotten addicted to a to a, to a game uh, and you know stayed up too late playing video games or something can sort of understand this. And I think they 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 the uh, at least what i read the the way the way some of these things are designed and run and the way the uh, casinos are laid out and the incentives and everything is all of it works to kind of keep this little reward cycle going um so you so so you never so you don't you don't you you lose track of time you lose track of how much you've won and how much you've lost and 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 kind of will stay will stay in play forever which is really dark. I mean, it's sort of like social engineering. You know, you don't need the drugs because we'll just set up a situation that that gets gets you high on your own brain chemicals. <laughs> it's pretty dark. Um, but people also love the idea that there's like a way to crack it. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, it's the easy money, you know, or it's like high rolling, you know, win and lose. 
I'm not even sure. It definitely is. It definitely is. But mm. like all the movies you have about like card counters and like stories oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like people are like, no, no. If you're a boy, if you're a very special boy, you can win it all. If you're James mm-hmm. Bond and you're just too suave to be able to lose, you can win it all. So I think there's also something a little bit of that. And I think that that's kind of what's at play here. Like mm-hmm. that's really what. Um, Reno and Sam are playing for to be superior to the other completely at a game of chance and then mm-hmm. and that proves that they are better yeah yes and and possibly destroy the other person it, or it, maybe just and maybe destroy themselves you know seek seek release and finally uh, maybe see I, I kind of think of it almost maybe like they're seeking consequence and comeuppance maybe even punishment uh, and by inflicting it on someone else, they will also take it themselves and that will give their life by, uh, by inflicting consequences on themselves in a, in an almost arbitrary uh, sort of luck and fate based way that I think they seek meaning. Um, and even, even if the meeting results in their destruction. Yeah. Do you think that the story is, in re- I love that. I think that that's definitely mm-hmm. true. And and it sort of makes this almost the purest moral we have. Mm-hmm. It's people like seeking moral retribution from themselves for for themselves basically. Yeah. But we that's- aren't given any reason to understand why they would want that or who mm-hmm. who they are outside of this uh, outside of the story. Do you like that about the story or do you think it it weakens the story overall? Um I think it it doesn't it doesn't make it seem like I think it makes it sadder. This isn't this isn't like the story of like two two immoral evil gamblers who 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 eventually uh, you know receive karmic retribution through their own hands kind of thing. I think about more of like these are these are sad possibly broken people who who've been kind of kind of living on the edge of this for a long time who eventually sort of collectively decide to tip each other over the edge and see where this goes. You know what I mean? like I mean, like, like these guys, I think, sort of ha- uh, have a sort of a an elaborate fate and gambling based death wish, and basically they're like, "You want to just do this? You want to just do this thing? Like, let's take it to the logical conclusion. You and me, right here, let's do it." And and I think that you know, and that they've probably been teetering on the brink for a while, and this is all it took. They do seem to have a shared language that would suggest that. For example, mm-hmm. I looked up chop poker to see if that was like a thing. <laughs> is it a real thing? <laughs> and unfortunately, there's a thing in poker called a chop. So uh-huh. it, was, it was a hard Google. It was a hard <laughs> Google. I had to like Google like chop chop poker in in quotation marks, then fingers after yeah. it to like oh, get any sort of real traction. Sure. No, I mean like uh, no. I also think. So, no, they have the sort of this, like, little shared universe, which I think kind of makes this story feel a little bit more alien. And, mm-hmm. like, we've we've interrupted something. We've interrupted a conversation um, midway through between these what, two guys. Yes. Also, I think, and then there's a lot of shared experience back there that's more of the, like, are they in love? This is, I want you out of my life for good. Five or six times we hooked up and someone always gets burned in the end. <laughs> you know, they they um, there's been a lot of water under the bridge for these guys, but I think making them gamblers makes it sort of brilliant because I feel like if you the sort of again, this is probably more Hollywood than anything else. But all the like funny, there's this idea that professional gamblers 
and card sharps have their own lingo and there's all this slang they use and they have all this funny these funny ideas about luck and like what's lucky and what's not lucky and you know never play cards on still water and you, you know there's all this kind of all this kind of funny stuff that, that that us squares on the outside don't really know about so the idea that these two guys would be like we're playing chop poker and 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 they absolutely know what that is um, is uh, it seems kind of credible, and you're like, oh yeah, it's part of that like weird mystical professional gambler world <laughs> that we're not really part of. Yeah, I it also reminds like, me of uh, diner speak. I- exactly. Yeah, and I also I like that in this. Unlike what they would do in a movie now, I feel like in a more contemporary um, production, what would happen was they say we're going to play chop poker, and then they have a dealer there in in this featureless black room, and it's them and the dealer and a meat cleaver. Um, and he's shuffling the cards and everything. I feel like in a more contemporary thing, what would happen would be the dealer would be like, we're playing chop poker. The stakes are one finger per hand and like would like lay it out and explain it to you. But in this, they just shuffle cards, they play and then whoop, starts chopping people's hand, people's fingers off. I think it's a, it's a more spare and I think effective storytelling. I would agree with that. I, I really I did enjoy that. It also I've been kind of musing more on on the concept of whether or not the story is better for not for what it doesn't tell you. And I think it do, I think it does make it better or at least it distills the story down so far <clears throat> into an examination of self-destruction that you have to pity the characters strictly on those bases. And it makes you decide that there's kind of nothing you have no reason to like either of these characters, nor dislike, right. really. Right. But, like, they're they're pathetic and they're violent people, right? So mm-hmm. you're more likely to dislike them than you are to like them. But what they're doing for them, to themselves and each other is so piti- pitiful that it does make you feel empathetic towards them and, and pity them greatly. And it's entirely based on the moral, which might make this, like, the cleanest, like people will say eating a poached egg is the cleanest way to eat an egg because you're just mm-hmm. eating an egg in water. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. maybe this is like the cleanest way to take down a Tales from the Crypt episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we forgot. We forgot to mention. Um, and I think this is kind of uh, worth talking about, too. When they play Russian roulette, uh, Reno winds up at the last chamber. They play all six chambers. And he puts the gun to his head, fully expecting to blow his head off. And he's so committed to the game, sort of so committed to the bit that he he fully expects to shoot himself in the head. But the gun, but the bullet is a dud, um, which which is which is you know which is crazy, right? The, I think we have this idea that Russian roulette you can sort of you can play it for thrills, or when you see it in movies and stuff, it's usually shown to like show nihilism or how badass someone is that they'll risk a one in six ch- chance of you know killing themselves. But these guys are just like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've never really seen it portrayed in a way where people just play till the end. Yeah. Well, I guess well, it's my turn now. You know. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. I mean, I think um, I, I I also think it's funny how like a part of our our culture and like storytelling Russian roulette is. It's sort of like it's sort of like the quicksand of uh of masculine stories. Mm-hmm. Something that you're like. Well, and eventually one day I'll have to know how to react when I'm put in the position where I have to play Russian roulette. And you're like, we're like, well, that will absolutely never happen. Yeah. Yeah. Unless unless you make some pretty odd choices there. There now, bucko. Mm -hmm. Clean your penis, bucko. (laughs) Jordan Peterson is what these these two gentlemen needed to sort out their lives. 
You can just tell Sam has a very dirty room. A dirty room? Is that one of his things too? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's all about clean your room and stand up straight and women are chaos dragons. Women are chaos dragons. Yep. That's yeah. It's like it's like (laughs) it's like, you know, a lot of like normal life coach advice and then also a bunch of weird misogyny. How can I get what how can I become one of them chaos dragons? You already are. It's, it's, It's great. Just naturally an agent of chaos. Yeah. Wow. Well, I yeah. put that on my resume. <laughs> Feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> Preening yeah. a little bit. This the, the, this would work if, you know, he wasn't completely full of shit. But there you go. Yeah. Having now lost all of our Jordan Peterson fans. Um, yeah. So at the end, right, they're in this insane asylum pushing around checkers with their noses, um, having lost all their limbs. Presumably Chop Poker has rules like once you run out of fingers, you... Uh, you, you get to uh, do th- how do you think it works do you think you get you, like chop off your limbs inch by inch or do you chop them at the major joints or what do you think you know how like you know how like if you go on a picnic mm-hmm. and <laughs> and you're having a fancy picnic <laughs> and then you're and you're just chop you're hacking a part of me no, no 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 and you go on a fancy picnic where you have like you know some nice cheese and and, and a little bit of a charcuterie and maybe a pear or an apple, maybe some grapes. And then yeah. you have a giant loaf of French bread. Yeah. How even though you will take the time to pull out a knife and cut little pieces of the cheese off and maybe cut pieces of the charcuterie if it comes in a in a in a log, how you mm-hmm. just rip off honks of the bread. I think mm-hmm. that's how it goes. Like, I don't think that they, like, pull out a... T- I don't think they do anything quite so delicate where they, like, pull out a tape measure and are like, and now I get an inch of your arm. I think they just, like, hack off big honks of your arm. And so, like, maybe some hands, um, Reno chops off more of Sam's arm than Sam chopped off of Reno's arm. But, like, in the end, the idea is that everyone gets their fair share of the baguette. Yeah. You think so? I mean, I, I did think... Do you think it's funny that when they're chopping off fingers, they're always like, now aim it good, aim it right. Like, 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 apparently it's not very much against the rules to, like, accidentally take off more fingers or I don't know. It just seemed that seemed like a really weird thing to say. <laughs> I think that they were looking for some some dialogue that one might say in that situation. And they were like, <laughs> just instead of just being like, oh, shit, just constantly. <laughs> and so no, just being please like, don't ah! chop off my finger. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. The, so the finger chopping is, is an awesome, gross, practical effect. Like, I love all the rubber rubber hand chops that there are. <laughs> And um, uh, Sam loses. We see him lose his 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 pinky and his ring finger. <laughs> but when he chops Reno's hand, he just chops like most of his pointer finger off, which does not seem like an even trade at all. I don't think that Sam. I think that Sam has soft businessman hands and is not as good at chopping off pieces of Reno as Reno is yeah. as, as Reno, as who's gelded a, a few a few stallions. No, right, right. can do with Sam. As evidenced by the fact that Stam has sort of like even little stumps in the insane asylum, but mm-hmm. Reno just like doesn't have arms. Yeah. Like Sam and just like full on went ripped right into the pit. Went pants. ham on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, uh, I also like Sam makes kind of a Donald Trump face when his fingers get the chop. <laughs> he makes kind of a that, that, that reaction is great. And it's kind of, it's almost kind of cartoony, but I think it's it's just the right amount because you have to kind of leaven it a little bit because on some level, you know, this this would be that this could be like you could imagine a, a very realistic version of this being one of those movies that's like mistaken for a snuff film or, you know, <laughs> this is the this is the saddest pornography I've ever watched. <laughs> oh, man. 
Um, but what, what kind of insane asylum is letting these guys hang out together, though? Like, obviously, they are, like, contributing to each other's insanity. Like, they well, need to be separated. To be fair. They're buddies. They want to be together. Playing checkers. It's great. To be fair, as far as I can tell, they don't, they're not, like, actually doing any harm to each other when they're playing checkers. They're just endively, endlessly playing checkers. True. True. Maybe. Maybe. They've just lost everything. Yeah. Could still play. Play for uh, stumps or play for the nose. They could chop off fleshy bits of their face, eyes, yeah. Yeah. tongue. At first, okay, so at first, you see, I can't remember if it's Sam Marino. He's How helpful kind of, you are to suggest other things that they could chop off No, he's um, he was, he's kind of like, you can see he's bobbing his head, their, their torsos, you know, bobbing his head and kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, staking out his moves. And he's making kind of a tongue clicking noise. And I, the first time I saw it, was like, wait, did, did they cut their tongues out? Like, is he communicating through some, like, can he, can they not talk to each other? Like, uh, have they, have they lost all appendages? But no. That would be absolutely horrifying. <laughs> well, you know, just want to make it real bad. <laughs> You're like, this seems bad. How could it be worse? Yeah. How can we make it worse? I noticed, I never noticed bloopers or, you know, continuity problems or anything like that. But I did notice that uh, I did notice one in this episode um, when Reno comes into the casino, they give him a free drink chip and he takes it to the bar and he talks to Vic from uh, from the first episode and um, he orders a whiskey shooter and he drinks the whiskey. And then uh, Vic talks to him some more about how, you know, being a gambler must be an exciting life. And then he then it cuts back to him and he drinks his whiskey again. <laughs> so he drinks he drinks two whiskeys um, despite only having one poured. Um, that's that's just I, how good of a gambler he is. He's all about that. And I that never, never noticed stuff like that. I never noticed stuff like that, but I did notice that in this episode. He's all about that half shot life. Yeah, <laughs> he comes from the. He's a, he, he's a regular Tom Schwartz. He comes from the Tom Tom, Tom school of drinking. Yeah, probably, probably. He's like, he's like, Baba, don't take just don't take a whole shot. Just take a half shot, and then at the end of the night, you can have you can twice drink, as many shots. You can drink twice as many shots and have drunk just as much liquor. Yeah. You want to talk about the bumpers? Um, sure. I so I like that we start with the crypt keeper. He's uh, playing cards, and you see, it's I, I guess that skeleton sitting next to him is supposed to be playing cards with him. Sure. Uh, but you'll notice the skeleton. You can see his cards, and he has five jacks, which is just funny. They didn't give him a dead man's hand or anything, but they did give him an illegal poker hand. Um, and he says, <laughs> and his uh, gambling puns are awesome. He says something about um, the Marquis de Sade who liked to unwind with a red hot poker. No. And then he says that this is a story about real Sharpies will do anything for a stab at the jackpot, which I thought was funny because our Sharpies a thing. And also, this has this has has not yeah Right. But are they called Sharpies? This also has kind of nothing to do with the episode. Like and stab at the jackpot. No, there's no like like the jackpot is like the sweet release of death or like the self-knowledge that comes from destroying yourself. Also, uh, also, they don't. um they don't stab anything. You can't stab with a cleaver. <laughs> Marquita said, I don't know. I, I I I did not get a strong torture element out of this. Did you? No, no, no. No, he just wanted to make a poker joke. And I guess that I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure how that poker? comes Poker? I so. hardly know her. Yeah, poker in the front. Liquor. Yeah. No. Um, the, oh, man. And then at the end, we see the Crypt Keeper with human fingers and a frying pan, which is great because it makes me think about the Christmas album. And also, it's another chance. Do you chance think about that... Grandpa Gra- Brown going face down in his spuds and gravy? <laughs> Only just now. No, um, 
I think that uh, I think that somehow through time and space, the episodes have been listening to us speculating about what size the crypt uh, keeper is supposed to be. Because for the second episode, they definitely give us things that we can see him to scale with, like normal human fingers. <laughs> Yeah, they're so about the same size seem... as his fingers. Well, he shows them. Yeah, they're like normal size. They're they're uh, like the size of like yeah. kind of fattish sausages. Yeah. yeah, those are big fingers, though. I don't know. It made me feel like he was small again. I actually did not. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I feel like the crypt keeper is crypt keeper is now four inches tall. I don't think that he's a consistent size. Is all I'm saying. We say it might depend an... on the relative humidity of the crypt at the time. That's yeah, probably. Possible. I mean, yeah, you might fluctuate a little bit. You think, he, but you think it's taller and shorter? Is he like a door in your house that swells with humidity? Potentially, I don't really know. I mean, mostly what I here's what I here's what I do know. I did not like the outro. I, something about it. <laughs> Why not? And I you thought know, you would love it. You love the eating fingers. I love cannibalism. I do. It's like one of my favorite horror things to happen, but. I don't know. There was something to me. I felt like the story was like pretty like sparse and like didn't need to descend to that level of like of like goofy horror. And then to see him be like, and now I'm going to eat Reno and Sam's fingies. I was like, that yeah, yeah. just doesn't make a goddamn bit of sense. I, I, I'm with you. This is a little bit like um, the way that we think that the bump, the outro kind of hindered our enjoyment of Demon Knight, where it gives you this sort of uh serious sparse mean sort of story and then at the end the crypt keeper has to show up and like yuck it up a little bit and you're like hey man you're kind of wrecking you're wrecking my mood here yeah i just i thought it was just it, it just didn't fit the tone of the story it made me feel like potentially the crypt keeper had not read his own story and i didn't oh. like that yeah yeah well <laughs> like, like although, although like what do you want him to do like the crypt keeper comes out in a somber suit and is like what a senseless waste of human life. <laughs> and then, like, turns in profile and the lights go down. He could have come out. He could have just come out, shook his head and said, what a pair of assholes. <laughs> it could be like the it's like the um, very serious um, beneath the planet of the apes outro where they, you know, that green planet is now dead. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. Way to hit us with the bad news. <laughs> uh, they, they, what they were really going for is they were going for the surprise again um, of realizing that you were on Earth. And it's like, and that planet that you saw get destroyed, also Earth. And you're like, no, we know. <laughs> no, no, but like, who are you? <laughs> How are you talking? You're a satellite. The Alpha and Omega bomb. Somber satellite. Yeah, I thought it was pretty, pretty, pretty terse, sparse. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Would you like to rate this sucker? Sure. So, I liked it. It's not my taste of of horror. And I feel like it's one of those things that it's a lot more enjoyable to talk about and think about than it is to actually see. I think if I was watching this, like, marathon style on a DVD, I'd be like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, don't, uh, don't ever play shot poker. Got it. And move on with my life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't place yourself in a place where nihilism and a desire for consequences yeah. makes you destroy yourself and possibly your friends. Here's a <laughs> here's a hot tip. Don't become uh, addicted to gambling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think I think <laughs> so. I would rate it below average. I'm trying to like kind of get back into like an average and not give overinflated scores. I'm not an Amazon reviewer for Christ's sakes. So I would say that this is. I would rate two out of five hands, quote unquote, of chop poker. Uh -huh. 
So I have – it's interesting that you bring up inflation because I was looking over my ratings and uh, – Mary, take a break. I need to, It's just between me and the creepies. Look, guys, I realize that I've rated way too many things three and a half stars. It's because you, <laughs> and do, think, it's because you don't want to admit that you like anything. Right. And so I think that I was – when I watched this episode, it was clear to me what the rating needed to be. And I think this is a four out of five unamputated fingers episode. But if that's the case – I don't think that I like this. I think this one is at least as good as Collection Completed and and All Through the House. So I would like to hereby address the commissioner of the Crypt Creepers uh, rating database and bump those guys up to a four as well. Um, I think this one's I think this one's good. This is maybe not like an all timer, but I liked it. Um, keeping with my theme, my theme of watching it once and being like, I mean. It wasn't very good. And then liking it more every time I watched it. That uh, This one definitely held true for me there. And this, this on the other hand, is exactly to my taste in terms of um, the, the sort of horror portrayed and uh, the, the, the basically the work these guys do with what they're given. This is really good. Well, great. Well, isn't that fun? It's, a, it's definitely fun to hate something more than you. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I didn't hate it. I just thought it was, I thought yeah, it was no, an I episode... Yeah. I thought it was an episode that I would be more likely to forget, even though I think it had interesting ideas behind it. Sure. Yeah. I you, think- so, you, so, you sound like me talking about episodes. I like to hear you talk about it. I just don't like to watch the episode. I don't think I ever need to watch the episode again to get the enjoyment I would have from the episode. Mm-hmm. I would rather talk to somebody about the episode and describe it to them mm-hmm. than watch it again. <laughs> All right, so there's these two guys. One of them's a banker, one of them's a cowboy. All right. Get this. Then, it's a classic <laughs> banker cowboy chop. With all the singing, stitch. you know, it's amazing nobody's sung the banker and that cowboy should be friends. <laughs> the banker <laughs> and that cowboy should be friends. I'm sure I'm sure that uh that Walter Hill was clicking his heels and dancing around to that song the entire time he was shooting this. Maybe like you know how like Aaron Sorkin is way into Gilbert and Sullivan. What if like Walter Hill is way into uh, you know Broadway musicals? Possibly. Possible. What if he was like everything I make is a western and also a musical? <laughs> so Annie, get your gun. <laughs> everything everything he makes is a musical, even without music. I want a big casino with with Russian roulette and chop poker. <laughs> want to lose my hand and shoot myself in the head <laughs> preferably i do think it's sort of fun that they go from russian roulette which is like instant death to just being like let's chop some fingers off that'll do yeah right right <laughs> what's the only thing we can think of that's why i think that's why i suggest that it's a citrus knife behind the bar or do you think that there's like a special like box full of chips and, ch- and the chop poker cleaver i mean like, clearly they set this thing up. I mean, there's so there's the dealer, but there's also a doctor or there's like some guy in a suit who I assume is the doctor. And you see, they get, they get bandaged up between hands. So I think I, this exists in a universe where people are like, oh, yeah, chop poker. Yeah, it's very, very, very normal. We'll take you to our special chop poker suite. It's like it's a like card playing room that has like a floor drain and stuff. We've got our in-house doctor in here and our and our finest dealer. Very normal and very cool. Very cool. Very legal. <laughs> yeah. All right. Shall I introduce the? Uh, yeah, go for or it. maybe let's uh, let's mix it up. Would you like to do an Amazon affiliate link uh, pitch at this point? <laughs> I mean, okay. John Casier needs your money. So do we. 
follow the Amazon affiliate link that is available at outrageousmechanisms.com. And in the to, show description. And and linked in the show description. What what are they to do once they get there, Thomas? Are they to purchase oh, oh, potentially some Tales oh. from the Crypt de- DVDs? Yeah, probably. Or, or really anything they want. Though, if you want to help John Kassir out, you probably should buy something that he was involved in. Um, we really should get a. We should demand John Kassir's tax return and uh, and all no. uh, investment holdings report so that we Unclear. can know what no. else we can shill. No, no. I think no. I I think you're approaching this wrong. It's it's the it's the it's the honey versus vinegar. John, we know you're out there listening, and we think you're a really cool dude. <laughs> If there's anything we can do to help you out, just let us know. Well, we, love so- oh. <laughs> we love you. We love you. Mary and Thomas. Oh. <laughs> um, but mostly Thomas. I know. Um, oh, Mary. Mary. Sidebar. Sidebar. This may not make it into the final cut. Did you know that Billy Zane is on Cameo? Oh, that's pretty great. If you pay $500, Billy $500? Zane. $500? <laughs> yep. Zane is just as expensive as if you wanted to get Wesley Snipes to do something for you on Cameo. Well. I, I would take either, both. Well, here's one thing you can do to help John Kassir out. You can continue to follow along um, and watch the next episode of Tales from the Crypt. Next time, we'll be treated to a Brett Kavanaugh-type bro, quote-unquote, wooing a racist heiress and getting a rather different kind of lifetime appointment in episode four of season two, Till Death. Which is the name of the uh, episode, not a weird sign-off that I just invented. (laughs) Till death! (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Crypt Creepers. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and review us. Be sure to visit OutrageousMechanisms.com slash Crypt-Creepers to see all our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. Till next time, kitties. These two gamblers learned the hard ways that settling your debts will sometimes cost you more than just an arm and a leg. Guess being limbless makes it difficult for them to enjoy a gambler's favorite treat, poker chips and salsa. (laughs) But really, it was all foregone. Conclusion. As soon as they saw those casino lights, they were lamps to the slaughter. Tip your waitresses. Oh my gosh, that was so many puns. (laughs) A little, little, little Borscht Belt bit there, yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Outrageous?